Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, the coup in Myanmar. So we are seeing a combination of an aggressive, brutal crackdown in Myanmar and protests against the military coup in the streets. And within that is journalism, both international journalists writing about what's going on and domestic reporters trying to write about what's going on in the face of extreme restrictions on what they can say, or at least what they can say without danger of being jailed. Right at the center of this is a bilingual news outlet called Myanmar Now in Yangon. And the person who leads that is a journalist named Sui Wen, who is with us along with Tammy Kim, a writer and essayist who interviewed Sui Wen for a recent piece in CJR. Sui Wen, thank you again for joining us. Um, tell me what you are hearing um, in terms of what's going on on the ground right now in Myanmar. What I have been hearing these days following the coup is the quiet crackdown going on every night. So this is, uh, this is the major development uh, in the post-crackdown in Myanmar, uh, uh, not like in 1988 democratic uprising or in the previous uprisings, the military regime uh, was trying to avoid uh, using uh, overwhelming force to crush the protesters on the streets in the broad daylight. Instead, they are resorting to old era tactics of making raids into, how, uh, into houses of the protesters, targeting uh, individuals who they deem uh, to be initiating the protest. That's what they have been, what they have been doing. So, so midnight raids is one of the significant aspects of the crackdown. Another aspect of the crackdown is they, they have amended a number of laws which deprive the citizens of their basic rights and liberty. For example, they have reinstated a guest house registration law by which you are required to report a, a guest staying overnight to the authorities or face punishment, that sort of thing. So they are amending the laws, they are making nightly raids, and also, yeah, they are trying to instill the sense of fear uh, across the public using, you know, tanks and armored vehicles on, you know, moving mm. armored vehicles on the streets. So they are mm. trying to instill, instill, uh, instill a great sense of fear in the public. The kind of fear which used to exist in the public sphere, but has been lost over the past uh, 10 years of limited democratic transition. So they are using all, all these uh, old era tactics uh, to to support the public opposition against the military hunter. 
Mm-hmm. And, and yet, these extraordinary protests continue. Um, what is your uh, what is your read of how long that is likely to um, continue? Um, do you think that momentum is really growing, and that and that and that these will continue, or do you think it will become untenable? I'm not sure, actually. You know how uh, to what extent uh, these uh, protests or uprising will continue, but I can definitely for uh, say for sure that the country uh, will face one after another of protests across the country. You know, in the in the years in the decades to come, actually. You know, as long as the military rule is in place, you will see a very volatile country, actually. You will see a very volatile, you know, a social and political system uh, in this country. People will continue to express, you know, by various methods to express their dissent against against the regime. So we have, uh, we have the coups in 1962 and also in 19, 1988, but this time around, the public reaction is quite different. You know, they are not making blind reactions. They have tasted, you know, uh, democracy and liberty uh, over the past 10 years. So they can make very good comparisons, you know, very actually first time comparisons of, you know, uh, comparison between dictatorship and uh, democracy so that comparison is etched on their mind. That comparison will continue to uh, prop them uh, to make many forms of resistance. I don't know how this current uh, protest uh, will pose a challenge to the ruling military regime, but I can definitely say for sure that we have a very uh, very pol- vo- volatile, very chaotic uh, situation in the coming months and years to come. Mm-hmm. Now, your <clears throat> news outlet, which is Myanmar Now, has been covering this. You're, you've been in exile outside of the country for uh, 10 months or so, and you did an interview with Tammy for CJR in which you talked about the need for the rest of your staff to leave their homes after the coup began. Have people been able to do their jobs? What is it like to be reporting right now? Yeah, surprisingly, they have managed uh, to do the job. So it's quite surprising for me. You know, uh, mm-hmm. they they are they are very much traumatized. You know, with the uh, with the coup, like you know, everyone in the country, they are very very much tra- traumatized. They are very much outraged. But yeah, at the same time, that. yeah. But at the same time, you know, uh, they have tried. Uh, to the best of their ability uh, to do their the professional job of journalism is very difficult. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. T- Tammy, describe for me the sort of um, the journalism ecosystem in Myanmar, both right before the coup and, and now, in terms of what were people reporting, how active was it, and then how are people doing this now? Yeah, and of course, Sui Wen will correct me and add. Um, one thing I just want to note is I, I 
I think it's been incredible on Twitter and other forms of social media to see all of the staff journalists and freelance journalists in Myanmar and Thailand and other places in Southeast Asia speaking up and doing just an incredible job um, during this period, which I just mm -hmm. really admire. Um, I think in, in Myanmar, obviously, Sway Wen's outlet um, is very trusted there, um, you know, both in in country, you know, for their coverage in Burmese, but I think also importantly outside of the country so that, you know, it is kind of a go-to outlet for Burma watchers in the U.S. and the U.K. Um, I think um, we might have mentioned in the article, but, um, you know, the Irrawaddy, Myanmar Times, there is this sort of constellation of um, outlets who are, are doing work bilingually also, um, but not everyone is in country, you know, for various reasons, mm -hmm. journalists have had to be offshore for, for quite a long time now, I think, um, especially those who have been committed to reporting on the state of the Rohingya people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's, it's sort of this combination of, you know, doing this work under the most difficult circumstances. And, you know, I think in this moment, kind of have seeing how, um, the freelancers there are also making what I find to be an extraordinary contribution and maybe also journalists who are sort of doing citizen activist journalism, you know, and mm -hmm. sort of chiming in from, from civil society. But yeah, I would say, you know, my go-tos have certainly been sort of Irrawaddy, Myanmar Now. Um, in addition, you know, they have very, very good reporters, obviously, as we've covered before, um, from Reuters and, and um, you know, Agence France Press and others um, from the Western world there as well. This is a just a gut thought that I have, and you can both correct me and tell me if you think it's wrong. But and I'll start with Tammy. I mean, the Hong Kong protests and press crackdowns kind of sort of galvanized the um, for a time the journalistic community globally, and including in the U.S. My impression is that what's going on in Myanmar has not captured that kind of imagination. Is that right and fair? Do you think? And and if so. Why do you think that is? Yeah. Um, I mean, again, I'm really interested to hear what Sui Wen has sure. to say about this. My, my view of the Hong Kong protests, I mean, there were sort of two things going on there. I mean, one is, you know, obviously it's a sort of westernized center of commerce that, yeah. you know, has a lot of sort of channels, like obviously the New York Times and other places, Asia bureaus have been sort of located there until recently also. Um, so I think that was part of it. And obviously the very sort of, um, even more than Burma, the kind of temporally proximate, you know, relationship to Western colonialism that Hong Kong has. And, mm -hmm. and also it, you know, its relationship to China, which everyone is always interested in what's going on with that. Um, but I think there was also, if you guys remember, um, a, a few sort of spectacular <laughs> protest events that really drew a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, pro-Trump protests among the mm -hmm. Hong Kong protesters. So mm -hmm. there was a little bit of a kind of um, a cynical use, I think, of, um, you know, certain protest strategies to say, hey, Trump, pay attention to us and defend us against China. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think so for that reason, it kind of drew attention in a way that, you know, what's happening in, in Myanmar, you know, both because Myanmar isn't as covered generally in the press, but also because I think it's, as Sui Wen was just explaining, you know, part of this kind of decades-long continuity of civil protests mm -hmm. that has its kind of own internal and organic, you know, national logic. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's sort of harder for people to to get their arms around. And I guess the last thing I'll just say quickly is I think um, 
you know, Aung San Suu Kyi obviously was sort of a Western and, you know, international darling of human rights. And that luster has obviously been eroded because of her behavior towards, you know, in regards to the Rohingya crisis. So mm-hmm. it, it, there's no kind of hero figure. Like the heroes mm-hmm. right now are the people rising mm-hmm. up, but that, mm-hmm. that is a, a much more complicated story to tell. Mm-hmm. So, do you feel that the international community, is, and, and including the international journalistic community, is focused on this and engaged with what's going on in Myanmar? I think so. They have done as much as they can to report what's going on uh, inside uh, inside Myanmar. But uh, we got to bear in mind that, you know, uh, we are undergoing a global pandemic, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So this effect of coronavirus actually has hindered, you know, many, many journalists actually, you know, in the foreign countries from covering, you know, the events going on in the close societies like ours. So, mm. so, uh, so given that actually, uh, I would say, you know, uh, uh, many pr- uh, international pr- foreign press have done, you know, uh, their best to cover what's going on uh, in our country. Mm. Mm-hmm. Tammy, you should feel free to, um, to weigh in here as well in terms of questions with Sui Lin. But I, I have a question just about where the lines are between between acceptable journalism and unacceptable journalism, as is seen through the eyes of the of the military now running the country. Is there is it clear, Swayman, in your mind, what people can report and what they can't report? Is it changing day by day? Is it depend on who you are? Yeah, I think we have uh, uh, we have already seen. What are the red boundaries? We call red boundaries, you know, which we dare not cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, exa- for example, look at Nema now, what I have been working for. We do critical reporting, a lot of mm-hmm. critical reporting. So, for example, a new cabinet was installed two weeks ago. You know, normally we would scrutinize everyone's background, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this time around, we, well, we haven't done that yet. You know, yeah. uh, we don't have the courage to do that yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, the regime said the election was unfair, so uh, they will impose uh, emergency, state of emergency for one year, and after that, they will hold free and fair elections. So that's their, uh, that's their roadmap, actually, tentative roadmap, uh, which has been laid mm-hmm. out in the aftermath of the coup. But when, they phone, when the regime phoned uh, phone the cabinet, they installed uh, key leaders of the parties who lost in the elections. You know? So no media, including the Malam, has uh, writ, uh, written about, about, about that aspect. You know, the leaders of this new government are the are the party leaders, you know, who who lost in the elections? You know, it's mm-hmm. a very simple, simple statement. Uh, mm-hmm. Even that we have avoided so far. You know, we are mm-hmm. we are waiting for a time, desperately waiting for a time. You know, until we have secure uh, our uh, our staff actually. You know, uh, mm-hmm. so 
and how close are you how close are you to that moment where you feel people are secure enough uh and, and by the way i mean you say that we haven't had the courage to do these uh pieces yet i mean it seems to me that you all are showing amazing courage in your reporting there but i understand your point how far away are you or are you waiting for this to see how the situation stabilizes or how far away from you are you are you, you going to feel secure enough to do some of these stories that you're not comfortable in doing right now i think yeah uh it will take uh, a few more weeks actually you know so mm. i have already made some sort of logistic arrangements for the safety of uh, our colleagues at the organization mm. uh I am going to accomplish that. So, you know, uh, once it is done, once it is fully accomplished, then we we are going to be, you know, a hundred times more critical, more vocal, actually, you know, <laughs> about what's going on uh, in the country. Uh, you know, we feel very, very much, actually, you know, uh, dissatisfied, you know, uh, with the with the with the predicament, actually, you know. Of uh, you know in our in our in our journal, journalism work at Uwali, you know we really want to write you know many things at Uwali. For example, sometimes I do editorials at Uwali, You know I haven't done any sort of editorial yet. Uh, mm. I'm mm-hmm. out of the danger zone. Uh, I could do it at Uwali, You know uh, I could mm-hmm. at Uwali, uh, I could reject at Uwali, anybody's at Uwali suggestion uh, in my in my organization. You know not to not to write this or not to write that, but I have, I have not done, uh, you know, any critical reporting so far uh, for the safety of uh, our 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 colleagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kyle, I was wondering if I could ask Swaywen a question. Of course, of course. Um, which is Swaywen, we talked about how. You know, previously there's just been so much of a kind of obsession with Aung San Suu Kyi and, you know, sort of you were talking about kind of deconstructing her charisma and, you know, doing critical reporting that doesn't get so wrapped up into, you know, her as a kind of a figurehead of the country. Are you concerned about journalism moving forward during the coup that there could potentially be a return to just you know, relying on her, focusing too much on her and not on all of the dynamics and demands in the society? A very, very good question, I would say, actually, you know. Uh, this uh, this question has started, actually, you know, a rise on even among the protesters. Are we calling for the abolishment of the dictatorship or are we just calling for the freedom of Aung San Suu Kyi and, you know, her, mm-hmm. her party colleagues. So actually there is a general acceptance in the public that we are calling for the abolishment of the military dictatorship. Our San Suu Kyi has made, you know, many gestures actually, you know, uh, to, you know, uh, uh, to, uh, to, to deal with, with the military, uh, military junta over the past 10 years actually, you know. She mm-hmm. has made a lot of favors actually, you know, towards the military. For example, when the two writer journalists were thrown into jail on the bogus mm-hmm. charges of, you know, uh, mm-hmm. breaking country secret secret law, Aung San Suu Kyi defended the army, and she blamed actually, you know, uh, she blamed, yeah. she even blamed the uh, two two writer journalists. We we are still dealing with that with the trauma we got, you know, 
from our stems in those days. Right. So, so you know, people people used to blame actually in the social media when the when the, when they saw uh, you know the Rohingya you know wiping uh, their tears as you were you know oh this is the fake photo or this is you know uh, this is some right. sort of coordinated you know uh, policies of the international press to portray the you know Rohingya in such a sorrowful you know condition etc as you were you know. So mm-hmm. people now realize, oh, we, we, we were wrong, actually. We were crying now. You know, we were wrong, actually. You know? So I think uh, the obsession with Aung San Suu Kyi might be limited, actually, you know, to mm-hmm. small uh, population in the urban areas, but across the whole country, you know, the focus is on the, uh, uh, on the system change. Mm. I thought it was really interesting, Sui Wen, in your conversation with Tammy that we published that you, you've been saying for months and months and months that this was seemed to be coming, um, that this was not something that emerged in recent days or weeks or even, even months. I guess on a more personal level, I'm sort of curious what it feels like to you to be covering this and living this remotely. Uh, I feel very, very actually, you know, uh, uncomfortable actually, you know. I don't even know how to express, you know, how to describe. I want to write some OFs for the, you know, international outlets, but, uh, you know, I don't have the mental composure uh, to put into words what I have been feeling. For example, you know, uh, I wish to go back to the country and get thrown into jail or continue my work. You know, I want I only want to choose one of these two options. Otherwise, you know, I feel very uncomfortable, you know, to see the young people uh, facing, you know, uh, facing the soldiers, you know, waging a battle, you know. So I feel very uh, very cowardly, I would say, uh, very irresponsible uh, to be out of the out of the out of the danger zone, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and then when it comes to journalism, every everyone sooner or later uh, we have to accommodate, you know, to the reality of the uh, regime. You know, we have started receiving orders from the military junta. You know, we call them. Uh, Good regime, you know, in 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 the in the in the Burmese language, we call we call them the good regime or the military group. All these sort of terms we used. We don't even we don't we don't even say like the military government. We don't even use the word uh-huh. the, the word government. Mm-hmm. But the government mm-hmm. said no, you cannot do that. You have to uh, you you have to call us like like uh, you know official you know with the official term. Uh, state administrative council, you know that sort of thing. Actually, you know, we cannot, we, we cannot, we cannot give any sort of legitimacy, you know, not because we are being political. Actually, that's the reality. You know, they don't have any sort of legitimacy. They kidnapped the whole society. Actually, they took the whole society, you know, hostage. Actually, so we cannot give any sort of legitimacy. If I have to choose, 
whether I will shut down all my operations or I, I will use that word, that even particular word, I better shut down the news wrong. You know, there will be justification. You, know, you use just one word and then you, you can stay, you know, uh, do a lot of reporting, you know, important reporting to cover all these injustices which has, you know, started taking place. You know, you can justify in many ways, but, you know, it's very important that you worry, you know. For me, for us, actually, the spirituality of the journalism, spirituality of the work we do is, you know, more important than anything else. Yeah, wow. Tammy, any other, you have any other questions? Um, yeah, I guess I was just wondering, Sway, when you, you talked in our interview about maybe moving your, your staff, um, if need be, um, offshore, and I'm wondering what you are expecting in the coming days and weeks in terms of freedom of movement. Um, how easy or difficult will it be, if necessary, to move your staff you know, to Bangkok or somewhere in India or, you know, wherever is safe for them? Uh, it's very difficult, actually. I have, we have figured out, you know, about the relocation plans. And then uh, due to the COVID, you know, uh, you cannot uh, basically get out of the, out of the country, actually. Mm-hmm. But say, uh, you know, uh, one fortunate thing is the metro regime has not, uh, impose a lot of restrictions for the for the travel. They want to actually uh they want to showcase a sense of normalcy actually, you know, in the country. Mm. You know? Uh, so uh that's why, you know, there is there is a lot of restriction, which is good for us actually, I would say, you know. I don't want to uh, go into details actually, you know, because sure. this can endanger, you know, people on the ground. Well, thank um, you. Tammy, uh, I ask you this, and then we'll uh, give the last word to Sway Lynn. But okay. um, what do you think is the part of this story that um, reporting, international reporting, especially that you've read, is missing? Like, w- what do you think is the, either in, in in the way that these journalists are approaching this, or just in the story in general? Yeah, there's a couple things I've been thinking about this week in reading English language coverage. Mm-hmm. One is that. You know, what this reveals or what this is kind of shaking up in people's minds and understanding of the recent history of Myanmar is this this power sharing agreement between the military and, you know, Suchi civilian government over these, you know, five to 10 years. Was it all a fraud? You know, was 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 what people were living? What was that? How do we kind of, you know, read that retrospectively, given the coup? You know, mm-hmm. and and I think another thing that I've been thinking a lot about is I've seen, you know, among activists, for instance, on, on Twitter, I was seeing a bunch of this, um, you know, people saying the Rohingya was kind of that was the canary in the coal mine, you know, as it were. Mm-hmm. It's such an inadequate metaphor. But if we had listened to what minority populations have been saying this whole time, not just the Rohingya, but, you know, minority populations in other states, mm-hmm. um, Kachin and Karen, um, they knew this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what that tells me kind of as a reporter, what the challenge of that is, is if we attend to the most vulnerable people in a society, you know, we can what will they reveal to us about how the society is actually functioning? Who is actually in power in, in, you know, a society? 
So mm-hmm. I, it seems to me that those are, you know, just a couple of the kind of more existential questions that mm-hmm. reporters might be asking or that we should all kind of be asking as we look at our own societies. Mm-hmm. So then what do you think about this, the parts of the story that isn't being told, at least in the press that you've read? Yeah, the missing, you know, uh, the missing part in the international and also domestic reporting is that, you know, uh, this power sharing agreement, uh, which started out, you know, uh, 10 years ago, was very fragile, as you were, you know, it, it was always lacking in uh, key, you know, democratic values, as you were. The military dictatorship always existed, as you were, to me, you know, you know, it is not. It doesn't just uh, it did not just come back you know two weeks ago actually it always existed in separate forms actually you know so we 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 have forgot actually uh, about the motive of the transition the the Muslim regime wanted wanted to uh, they have attempted actually uh, to transition uh, to a country like actually uh, Singapore I would say actually for for example you know. Where you have a uh, limited actually, you know, a uh, democracy, a uh, limited liberty, uh, some sort of uh, economic uh, stability and uh, social stability, that actually not uh, not a not a strong, you know, not a vocal uh, and vibrant opposition actually. That's the that's what the regime wanted actually. The military regime wanted, you know. So this is very good actually uh, for their interest too. You know, in this kind of scenario, they, uh, they, they can do actually a lot of businesses. They can exploit, you know, all the land, all the factories they have stolen, you know, from the, from the state to do businesses, to make profits, you know, with the, uh, with the foreign uh, business partners. That's the one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's the kind of democracy. They, they call it disciplined democracy, actually, you know, disciplined democracy. So... I believe that after our Sanssouci party won a landslide victory in 2015, they made a determination that we will stop this system after another five years. We won't give up. We won't give up another chance again in 2020. You know, so they, they already made that, uh, made that determination. They, they indicated several signs of, you know, uh, the impending coup. For example, they assassinated Sansuji's constitutional lawyer at the Yangon International Airport, you know, they jail actually many many activists who criticize the military on several bogus charges actually. Look at me actually, you know. You know, I, I faced I faced a groundless defamation lawsuits for three years right. actually. For three years. You know? A very strong safari actually, you know, a very deep safari. I was subjected to over the past uh, three years, but nobody cared. Not many people call. You know, this is nothing. You know, extraordinary. But it's but this is the military dictatorship to me. Actually, you know, I've been subjected to the military dictatorship since three years ago. Actually, you know, many activists, you know, who were who were jailed uh, on the, on similar groundless charges. You know, they have started safari from the return of the military dictatorship actually, you know, since 2017, 2018, etc. actually. So so this is the missing aspect of, you know, 
domestic and international reporting, we never got proper democracy, actually, you know. People are not actually, not impatient with the, uh, with velocity of the uh, transition, actually, you know. Uh, we actually, there is a lot of patience, but there is a lot of awareness that we are not on the right path. No matter how graduate it is, we can wait, actually, you know, as long as they are going into the right direction or right destination. But it's never been on the right path. This is the amazing aspect of the international and domestic reporting. Right. Well, thank you both so much for coming on. You can read Tammy's interview with Swaywin on CJR.org. Follow our continuing coverage in our daily email newsletter, The Media Today and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you both. Thank you.